In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. A darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. The first words of Scripture tell us about the tremendous beginning of creation, that God decides to create the heavens and the earth. And in this beginning, darkness was over the face of the deep. And the first thing God does in all creation is to bring light to darkness. And this light is good. And this light is separated from the darkness as light is distinct from it. As the history of creation unfolds, it ends with God creating mankind, male and female, and God calls all his creation after six days very good. But Adam and Eve, although they did not have a nature of sin, they chose in their freedom to disobey God and to do what was evil. So this creation God made that was very good was tarnished and damaged by the sin of mankind. And darkness entered into the heart of man. And the way of man became the way of darkness. Proverbs 4.19 says, The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. The way of man is a deep darkness that man is stuck in, unable to climb out on their own. And in this darkness, man stumbles around, uh, hopelessly, blind. Um, one way that a man stumbles in, is that the heart of man displays its wickedness in calling what is good evil. Uh, Isaiah 5.20 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. So what was to be done? Mankind had moved away from God, out of the light, into the darkness. Mankind was hopelessly lost in the darkness of their own making, stumbling around. But God, the one who spoke light into darkness in the very beginning, out of his goodness and grace, decided to enter into the darkness himself as the light. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus, who is God who created all things, who is the one who spoke light into the darkness in the very beginning, now he enters into the darkness as the light of the world. And John 8, 12 says, Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus says that those who follow him will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. This is the amazing reality and truth of the gospel, that those who have stumbled in the dark who have dwelled in the domain of darkness, could be rescued by Jesus and brought back into the light. And then, 
as we are brought into the light, we then shine the light of Christ into the world, into the darkness of the world. Jesus says in Matthew 5.14, you are the light of the world. And this brings us to Philippians chapter 2. Paul has just described the unity of mind that the church is to have and how this plays itself out practically in, uh, in the face of the Christian life that's full of hardship, full of conflict, uh, full of persecution in, in a dark world. And the example he offers to the church is the life of Jesus Christ, who perfectly lived out an obedient life to God. Jesus humbled himself, he, he served, other, served others, died a sacrificial death on the cross for sinners, and Jesus will be lifted up and glorified as he has the name that is above every other name. And so now, we have a response to the life, death, and resurrection and glorification of Christ. The first response is to repent and believe. Then, as Jesus takes us from darkness to light in salvation, we are then to shine as lights in the world around us. And Paul elaborates more about what it looks like to shine as lights in the world. So this morning, we will see four ways we can shine like lights as we follow Jesus. If you haven't already, turn to Philippians chapter 2. Read with me, Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 to 18. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Lord, I ask that as we uh, take a look at this passage that uh, you would open our eyes, open our ears, that we would hear from you, that we'd be uh, convicted, uh, that we would uh, turn away from sin, turn towards you, uh, that we would be children of the light, that we would walk in the light, um, that we would shine uh, your love and your truth uh, to the world around us. Amen. All right, so first of all, we shine as lights with our obedience. We shine as lights with our obedience. Notice how Paul starts out this section with saying, he says, therefore, my beloved. So Paul speaks affectionately uh, to the church of, of Philippi. He, he loves the church. He desires to point them in the direction of, of Jesus, that they would remember who Jesus is, what uh, Jesus has done for them. Uh, the, the therefore is coming after Paul has shown them the, the life of Christ as an example of how to live with the mind of Christ. He had previously called the Philippian church to be unified in one mind and love, and so Paul encourages them to obey. And the way that Paul encourages them is by 
pointing out their previous obedience. He says, as you have always obeyed. So Paul brings up their past obedience to God and encourages them to continue in that obedience. This was a, a good reminder for me uh, to point out and encourage others when I see godliness in their life. Um, it can be easy to want to point out the things that we don't like or the sin that we see in, in others. And there are times when confronting sin is, is necessary. But here, Paul speaks of their obedience and encourages the church to continue in their obedience. And so I have a challenge for you this week. Uh, be looking for ways that you can encourage somebody in the church um, because you have seen godliness in their life. Um, and then point it out to them and encourage them to continue in that godliness uh, just as Paul does here. That's a way that we can, as a church, build each other up and encourage each other is by looking for and seeing godliness in each other's lives and encouraging each other in that. Then Paul encourages them uh, to be obedient no matter who's watching, um, whether he's around or not. He says, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Have you ever been tempted to try to do a better job when there's a certain someone watching you? Um, maybe it's at work, uh, and your boss is around, Maybe it's home and your, your parents are around. Maybe it's just someone that you want to impress. And so you work harder uh, to give off a good impression. Um, and then that person leaves and you're tempted then to, oh, I can slack off a little bit now. No one's, no one's watching me now. Um, there can be a little bit of a selfish motive behind that. Wanting the boss or whoever it is, whoever else watching us to, to see that we're doing a good job, build a solid reputation with them. Um, and then there can be a temptation to not work quite as hard when, when no one else is noticing or watching. So Paul warns against this mentality. Uh, we are to live a godly life no matter who's watching. Uh, we are to be consistent in our character and integrity if we are alone or with, we are with people. Um, ultimately, God sees and knows everything anyway. Uh, it, we always have the Lord as an audience to our life. And, and this is the heart of, of the Christian, to obey God not because of what people think of you, and not because it's going to get you something that you want, not because you could build a good reputation, but because you love God. Um, it is out of love that we are obedient and obey even when we are by ourselves, and when no one else will notice. And sometimes that obedience can actually be painful as the world around us doesn't want us to be obedient to the Lord. Um, but we obey out of our love for God. Um, and the way we are to obey is by working out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to both will and to work for his good pleasure. Okay, so what, what does that mean? Uh, is Paul suggesting a, a works-based salvation here? Um, that people should be scared about whether or not they're good enough or obedient enough to, to make the cut? Um, that would be contradictory to some of his other teaching. So what, what's going on here? Uh, 
Charles Spurgeon speaks of two parts of salvation. So the first part of salvation is the work that is done for us, and the second is the work that is done in us. Paul's not speaking about a salvation by works here. He's not saying they need to work really hard to be saved, or you should be scared and tremble about whether or not you have worked hard enough to be saved. No, Paul is speaking to the church, to people who are already saved. He has addressed this letter to the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. So Paul is speaking of this, this second part of salvation, the work in us. Jesus did all the work of salvation for us in his life and death. He lived a perfect life, obeying every aspect of the law, fulfilling the covenant in our place. And Jesus also dies the death we deserve. He, he takes the penalty of sin on himself so that we don't have to pay it ourselves. As a sinner believes in Jesus and repents of their sin, they're, they're given new life. And it is God who gives them this new life. It's not a work of their own. Even the faith that the person places in the Lord is a gift from God. We cannot even take credit for our own faith. It is the Lord who started this work and will complete it, as Paul said a few verses earlier. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So now Paul's speaking to the church. He's talking to people who are already saved and says to to work out their salvation that they already have with fear and trembling because it is God who works in them to will and to work for his pleasure. So this work is flowing out of a salvation that they already have. Um, it is not a work flowing in order to have salvation. And it is God who is working in you. Uh, so the work that is being done, even in them now, it's still the Lord's work. Um, that fact should be awe-inspiring to us. Uh, the eternal God who spoke light into darkness at the very beginning, working in our lives, working in the lives of those he has saved, in your will, for his good pleasure. Um, so even as we work out our salvation in obedience, it is God working in us to help us live a life of obedience. Um, so living obediently is to shine in the world around us that specifically works against the commands of God. And so we follow the example of Jesus, the, the true light that came into the world, who willingly subjected himself to obedience to the point of death on, on the cross. And Jesus did all this without grumbling or complaining. Which brings us to the second way we shine as lights. We shine as lights by not grumbling or complaining. Um, do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. When are the moments in life that we are tempted to grumble and complain and dispute? When are those moments? Uh, do we do those things when we like what is happening? Uh, do we grumble when things go our way? Uh, 
No, we, we, we grumble and complain, dispute when something goes in a direction we don't want. Um, when something doesn't go your way, it doesn't go the way you want, what, what's your first response? Um, how do you respond when you don't like what is happening? In those moments, when things don't go the way that we want, we, we start to see our character with how we respond. Paul has already set up the fact that suffering would be coming for the church. He said in uh, chapter 1, verse 29, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Just as another reminder, Paul is writing this from prison. He's, he's currently suffering as he writes this letter. Um, and there's, there were also men who had been preaching the gospel in an attempt to try to hurt him. Um, in, in a worldly sense, uh, things have not gone Paul's way. And yet, Paul chooses to rejoice rather than complain. And in speaking of the life and, and death of Christ as an example for the church, Jesus did not grumble or complain as he lived his life and humbly died on, on the cross in, in our place. Um, yet, grumbling, complaining, disputing, these are things that we can struggle with. Um, in these verses, Paul uses some words that bring up the history of the Israelite people to mind. Uh, so Paul appeals to the history of Israel to make a point about grumbling. In Deuteronomy 32, as Moses is at close to the end of his life, he addresses the whole assembly of Israel. In verse 5, he speaks about Israel and says, They have dealt corruptly with him. They are no longer his children because they are blemished. They are a crooked and twisted generation. So why, why is it that Moses would say this? A crooked and, and twisted generation who are blemished. It's not a flattering description. Um, the, the Israelite people were people who grumbled and complained quite a bit. Uh, remember, God, God had saved them out of slavery. They had been enslaved for centuries. And God promises to bring them to the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And so Israel sends spies to go take a look at the land, and the spies return, and they don't give a very good report, uh, except for Joshua and Caleb. And so in, in Numbers 14, verses 1 through 3, we read, Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, would that, he had would that that we had died in the land of Egypt? Or would that we had died in the wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. This grumbling against the Lord Brings, it brings the judgment of God. If, if you keep going down, a few verses down in Numbers 14, we see God's response. Uh, he hears the grumbling of his people uh, against him, and God decides to, to give them what they've asked for. Uh, they will die in the wilderness. 
and their children will have to wait in the wilderness for 40 years. And this came because of the grumbling. Uh, but the grumbling was really showing what was happening in, in their hearts. Uh, their grumbling showed a heart that was not thankful for being rescued from Egypt, as they desired to go back to Egypt. Uh, it showed a heart that was not trusting in, in God to bring them victory in the land that he had promised to take them to. Um, this kind of grumbling and complaining shows a heart that isn't thankful for what the Lord has done and a heart that is not trusting in the Lord to keep his promises. Uh, it's a self-focused exercise. Uh, it's interesting that Paul matches up the grumbling and disputing in contrast with uh, being blameless, um, innocent. Um, grumbling, disputing, complaining is, is the way of the world. The, the world teaches you to look out for your own interests above others. The world teaches you to seek after what you believe in your heart to be right and to fight for those things and try to convince others. Um, but the interests we are to be interested in are the interests of God, not a self-serving interest. We talked about this previously, but I believe it's good to be reminded of this. When Paul tells the Philippian church to not only look to your own interests, but also the interests of others, what Paul is saying is that we are to seek after the best in God-intended interests of others. Otherwise, we would be slaves to the desires of man. Uh, and we're not to be slaves to man, but to God. Uh, we see a similar sort of statement made in, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 21, which says, For, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. So the interests that we are to seek after are the interests of, of Jesus Christ. And Paul has made a call for unity in the church. Uh, and this is the call to be of one mind, as we all seek the interests of Christ. And as we as the church seek after those interests together, we'll be unified. Uh, we won't get caught up in our own desires. Uh, focusing on our own desires brings about conflict. And James 4 speaks clearly, clearly to this truth. It says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. The, the desires of our heart can easily take control of our life. The call of the Christian is to live a life where we're pursuing not our own selfish desires, but the desires of the Lord. And as we grow in our godliness, our own personal desires actually move more and more to be in line with God's desires. And so our desires, as our desires move in the direction of God's will as a church, we'll be unified in our mission of proclaiming the gospel to the world around us, uh, rather than finding ourselves grumbling and disputing. Um, that we would shine like lights in the world around us. And so what is a way that we can practically keep ourselves from being a grumbling people? 
What, what's a practical way we can be unified in the desires of, of God? And so this brings us to the third way that we can shine as lights. We shine as lights by holding fast to the word of life. By holding fast to the word of life. So apart from this word, you will not have life. You'll have death. The great lie is that we can have life apart from the word of life. That fullness of joy, that satisfaction, that eternal happiness and love comes not in the Lord, but in following after our own desires. From the very beginning, mankind has been tempted to let go of the word of God. To ask the question, did God actually say? To let go of the word is to let go of God himself. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. To let go of God's Word is to believe that we can live without God. Uh, It would be to believe that we can actually have life without the Word. But that's a lie. In in this life, uh, you will continually be called to question the Word of God by the world around you. Um, In the world's eyes, You will be a a fool if you hold fast to the word of God. Don't allow yourself to be be taken captive by the wisdom of the world. The wisdom of the world may provide you with temporary joys, but it all eventually crumbles and withers away. It's not an eternal wisdom from God. Colossians 2.8 says, See to it that no one takes... No one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So there's all sorts of philosophies that the world has to offer you. Um, But they're not rooted in in accordance with Christ. It's it's empty deceit. Uh, Human tradition, human philosophy, they don't have the power to, to save you or set you free from your sin. Human traditions and human philosophy don't have the power to make you right with God. We must hold fast to the word as we do not want our minds to be taken captive. And this is why we we teach and preach through books of the Bible. Our desire is to hold fast to the word of life. And so we preach the word of life that our hearts and minds may be filled with the word of life that we would be conformed into the image of, of Christ rather, being, rather than being conformed into the image of the world. And this is why we encourage daily reading of Scripture, uh, because we need the Word of God, not just on Sunday, but every day of our life. Uh, to hold fast to the Word of life is, is to do two things. To believe the Word and proclaim the Word. Um, so a- as we believe God's Word, will be obedient. And so the truth of the word will be proclaimed to the world around us. Our, our lives look different and are in contrast to the world as we believe the Bible and are obedient to the Bible. We shine as lights in the dark. And Paul mentions that part of his desire for them to hold fast to the word is so that he would be proud that his labor was not in vain. Is Paul, is Paul appealing to his own selfish interest here? Even while he's speaking, he's been speaking about 
not seeking your own interest. Um, no, Paul, he's, he's not being selfish here. He knows that his work in ministry is really Christ working in him and through him. He says to live as Christ. Paul recognized that his life is Christ and not, and not his own. And that it was Jesus that was working in him to bring him to completion. Paul has a deep motivation to please the Lord, and he also desires that the Philippian church would please the Lord. And seeing others live a life pleasing to the Lord, that's the most pleasing thing. It is good and holy to rejoice in people holding fast to the word of life and being obedient to God throughout their life. Um, To be proud of someone for their obedience to God, especially in the face of hardship. Um, And really, this pride, uh, or even, say, boasting, would be in the work that the Lord is doing in their life. It's, it's a thankfulness to God for the work that he is doing in them. It is a blessing to see the people that you've poured your life into shine as lights in the world. It's a blessing because you know the work that the Lord has done in your own life, and then you're able to visibly see the effect of God working in you and through you and through others in the church as they live out their life in the fruit of the Spirit, for the glory of God. And this is, this is an opportunity to rejoice. Um, which brings us to the fourth point. We shine as lights by rejoicing. Even if I am poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. In following after the Lord... Paul is willing to pour out his life for the church. Paul, he's not concerned about himself here. Uh, He's already stated that, again, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Uh, He doesn't know what the future holds for him, but he knows that he can rejoice because of what the Lord has done in his life. And Paul knows that the Lord has given him the responsibility to act as an apostle. And even in... uh, the fact that he may be put to death, um, that wouldn't be able to take away his joy that he has in following the Lord. Uh, the, the drink offering uh, was something that uh, was accompanied with the sacrifice. Um, it, it was the last thing to be added to the offering. and You, you can find an example of this in Numbers 15, uh, if you'd like to look at that later. Paul was telling the Philippian church that he was willing to do everything he could to make the offering of their lives pleasing to the Lord. Um, That he was willing to be poured out as a drink offering um, under the offering of their faith. Uh, Paul recognizes that the Philippian church is already living their lives as an offering to the Lord. Uh, They're already living their life as a spiritual act of worship and sacrifice. And he sees this as an occasion to rejoice, not just personally, but to rejoice together as a church. Um, Remember, the the circumstances that Paul is facing and the Philippian church are facing are difficult circumstances. 
Rejoicing when times are difficult, that's strange. That's strange to the world. Um, that's distinct. That's different. Um, why would we ever be able to rejoice in times of difficulty? Uh, rejoicing in, in difficulty is not to be rejoicing because of the hardship, uh, but to continue to faithfully remember what the Lord has done for us in his work of salvation and to live in, in gratefulness for what he's done, no matter what's happening around us. Our rejoicing is not based upon the circumstances of our life. It's based upon the truth of the gospel. This is why our rejoicing can shine like a light in the world around us. The world rejoices when things go well for them. They, they find the ability to rejoice when they're happy because their rejoicing is based upon their circumstances. But for the Christian, our rejoicing is not based upon circumstances. It's, our rejoicing is based upon the finished and complete work of Jesus Christ. So now, no matter what happens in our life, we're able to rejoice and give thanks to the Lord because his love endures forever. Um, Jesus, he, he's able to take people like us who had chosen to dwell in the darkness of sin and bring us back to the light of life. That we would be made holy and blameless in God's sight. This is what God does for his people. Isaiah 9.2 says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. For those of you who have repented and, and believed in Jesus, shine as lights in the dark world around you. Live an obedient life out of your love for the Lord with an attitude of rejoicing rather than complaining while you hold on to the word of life. Ephesians 5.8 says, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. If you have not repented and believed in Jesus, I would urge you to place your trust in Christ alone for salvation. This is why Jesus came into the world. Jesus says in John 12, 46, I have come into the world as a light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. The Lord Jesus Christ began the work of creation by speaking light into darkness. He is still able to do that today. He's able to do that for you. Jesus is able to, to take the darkness in your life, the, the darkness in your heart, and make it into light. Uh, repent in, of your sin and, and believe in Jesus alone for salvation. Uh, and he will make you new. He will restore your soul. Uh, he will make you, your light shine among men. Isaiah 50.10 says, who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Let's pray. Lord, we're, 
uh, amazed and so thankful that uh, you are a God who has spoken light into the darkness. And not only that, but uh, Jesus entered into the darkness. Uh, we, we had been a people who had chosen to dwell in the darkness of, of our sin. Uh, and we, we thank you for sending Jesus to be a light among us, to expose, expose us, expose our sin, uh, expose our, our evil. Um, and not only that, though, but the fact that Jesus took the penalty for our sin, that we might become like him, uh, being light to the world around us because of the salvation that he offers to us, Lord. Lord, I ask that you would help us as we're, a, we're to be a light, that we'd be a light to each other, that we would encourage each other in godliness as we, as we see godliness in each other's lives, uh, that we would be characterized with a life of, of rejoicing, uh, that uh, we would not be caught up in our own desires and uh, grumble in our own hearts or uh, complain uh, to others, Lord, but that we would be unified in, in mind and unified in love as we desire to be a, a light to the world around us. Lord, we, we thank you uh, for who you are and all, all you've done in making this possible through uh, the complete and finished work of Jesus. Amen.